Hi everyone, I'm Caroline Hill, Editor-in-Chief of Legal IT Insider. Welcome to Charting Change in Legal. I'm here with Ari Kaplan. Hi Ari. Hello, how are you? I'm all right. Do you want to introduce yourself as I did a poor job? No, I do not. I'm just kidding. I'm Ari Kaplan. I'm an analyst that covers legal. I uh, always enjoy these conversations and I'm happy to jump right in. Caroline, what are you, what are you seeing that's happening lately? Well, I think we were going to, it was a shame. So, um, we're gonna, I think we're talking about clock. It's I go to the clock in in Europe. I know that um, it's a little little past now, but uh, obviously there's some really interesting themes that came out of it. Um, I, I'm very jealous that you were there. Um, it's obviously huge. Uh, it's a conference that I have ambitions to go to next year. Got my own thoughts from some summaries that have been provided to me by people who were there. But what what are your thoughts um, from being there firsthand? You know, it is, as you say, a great conference, and I felt lucky to be there. I hosted two runs. Usually I do one run at many legal conferences, at Legal Week, at Ulta. I'll do one at Lexpo next week, but I was uh, asked to do two. And amazingly, people showed up both days at 6.30 in the morning. So anybody who, people always joke. They just always make the same joke. I will see them the day before. I have a run and they will always say the same thing. He's like, oh, I'm sorry that I missed your run. And I'm like, it's tomorrow. <laughs> and they always say, I'm sorry, I missed it tomorrow. Like, they just, it's just a joke. But there were. That is because it's at 6.30 a.m. It's 6.30 in the morning. So it's a testament, actually, because in Las Vegas at 6.30, even, even harder. But there were probably 40 people the first day and maybe 30 something the second day. And both days were great weather. A little, little warm actually, but great and fun. And I was grateful to Clock for giving me that chance. And also hosted a session uh, with two remarkable legal operations leaders. I, I will just summarize the conference by saying it. Got, I got the sense that corporate legal teams are sort of straddling this line of trying to figure out how to accomplish some of the traditional roles associated with managing a legal department and then driving the legal department forward in a much more accelerated fashion as a result of all the technology and all the changes that we've seen just sort of rapidly developing over the last few months. And so there's this real balancing act that's taking place. Everybody is so excited and enamored by what's possible, but it's really important to focus on what's practical. Like at the moment, you're being judged not like a a growth stock on what's possible in, in five years, but you're being judged on what happens today and what have you saved now and where are the efficiencies at this moment as opposed to, oh my goodness, there's just tremendous possibility. And there is, and there was a lot of discussion about it. There were a lot of really interesting vendors at the event. But I think that there's this real balancing act going on, which was which was super interesting. And you have a lot of smart people who are navigating it. Did you get a sense of um, obviously there's been, I think, slightly less talk, certainly in the UK, there's been a bit less talk about economic contraction and, um, you know, the impact that that's having in terms of numbers. But I know that certainly relatively recently there was talk of, you know, they were making cuts and that, you know, this concept of doing more, doing more with tech was also coming within the setting of less people, less investment, budgets are definitely being cut. Did, did that come up in the conversations? With, did that kind of morph less within a very difficult context come up? 
One of the interesting things that came up in my research is, you know, I, I, at Clock, I talked about some research that I did with Simplify, where I interviewed 50 heads of legal operations from large organizations around the world. And one of the just the interesting things that came up was there's always a question about budgets, doing more for less. We've heard all of these points before. This year, what was interesting is, as opposed to in past years, where I feel like people have said, we're going to freeze. It wasn't that it was we're going to progress, but we are going to reevaluate and almost make everyone and everything prove their or its case for whether we should continue our focus on it and the investment in it. And then if we do have a stagnant budget that we reallocate according to what's going to drive our mission and what's going to propel the legal department forward. And I think that there was a little bit of a difference there. Yes, the economy is is certainly having an impact in some jurisdictions. You know, I did some research recently also speaking to in-house counsel around the world. And in some jurisdictions, I spoke to someone in a lawyer at a large corporation in India, or I spoke to someone in Singapore and they weren't feeling the same financial pressures. It could be it could be a jurisdiction specific, it could be a market sector specific. So I think that one of the themes that came up was this idea of, of reallocating, but continuing to press forward in terms mm -hmm. of whether or not we're gonna, you know, change the dynamics of the legal department. And that's really reassuring. So often you know, there's this sort of level of, I don't think hypocrisy is probably the right word, but, you know, people talk about driving change. And, and then when there's a dip in the economy, rather than investing in technology, which is obviously the way forward in terms of achieving that more for less in a sensible fashion, obviously quite often, it, it, I think within law firms, the budgets have been cut for sure. And, and I've spoken to CIOs who have confirmed, um, although not within the last few weeks, I have to say, that um, you know, projects were starting to be put on hold. Um, so I think it's always re reassuring. I think that it's really interesting with the growth of legal ops. Um, that I think that more for less conversations is quite different when when you start to approach it in a forensic way. I think I spoke I spoke a while ago to um, somebody who coaches general counsel. Um, this was actually quite a while ago, but the principle stays. Which and they were saying, you know. GCs have been under pressure for years and years to do more for less, right? And and he said, well, the, when you go to the executive, um, do you have a child to parent conversation where you say this sounds a little patronising, but it's a child to parent conversation where you where you know or parent to child, but they say right, do more for less, and you go running away and you go right, I do more for less, <laughs> or do you go right? These are the five things we do. Which one do you want me to stop doing? Um, and you know, can can we can we please talk about the risk? As, and I and I think that with the growth of legal operations heads, I feel like perhaps um, they are helping to give GCs. They're helping to perhaps give a bit of ammunition to that conversation. I don't know if that makes any sense at all. <laughs> yeah. Well, the other thing that uh, you know also came up was getting deep into what you already have. If you're going to evaluate how you're going to streamline your your applications if you're going to decide which to sunset you need to get a little deeper to try to figure out are we taking the greatest advantage of these tools and that requires a a level of sophistication that 
organizations have to kind of dig into. You're seeing a reallocation of, of staffing, you know, so maybe not hiring new professionals in the legal department, but assigning them additional roles, which is requiring, you know, on our virtual lunch, you know, I know you host the virtual lunch every day on the virtual lunch in the last few months. We really always uh, spend some time every week talking about skills that have changed or experiences that people need to gain and stepping up and saying, you know what, I'll be the one to give the initial assessment of which tools based on what our needs are and what our use is. Can we increase the use? Do we still have the need? That level of understanding is really important and it's, it's taking a very high priority today. Okay. You don't host a virtual lunch, do you, Ari? Every single weekday, uh, we just passed the 800 episode mark, which is awesome. And I'll just say this month, our our sponsor is Purpose Legal. Josh. Thank you. Um, what was? You're welcome. Um, what was your session about? So my session was about careers, and <laughs> I. Uh, was really, really lucky. So what happened was they asked me to to do a career session and I have written a, a couple of different books that touch on careers and business development. And I was hoping that uh, they would, you know, the, it's great for me to talk and I'm always happy to be featured, but I really wanted to showcase the voices of the people who are in the trenches in legal operations. And so I was very privileged to moderate a discussion with Jennifer Phillips and Asia Ling Vasquez, who are both just dynamic leaders in the space and offered great insights. So it was really meant to be a, a tactical discussion about how do you gain uh, a presence in legal operations and what kind of skills and talents do you need and what is that pathway from being a paralegal to legal operations why has that become such a wonderful pathway for folks and what does that experience do and are there other foundational skills that you need to build on and how do you manage a team in this environment and as things change it just it was such a rich lucky fun discussion and the audience was great we had standing room only they drew a great crowd and it was just super interactive that's awesome um yeah. did they did they talk about um sounds a bit of a stupid question but did they talk about technology training because a lot of them are former lawyers aren't they so and did, did they tend to be just gifted with tech or did, is there a sort of a recognized approved pathway in terms of that tech side of things? So it's funny that you mentioned this, that they're former lawyers, because historically, I think it's fair to say that legal operations leaders were pulled from disciplines outside of legal. So they were pulled from mm -hmm as far as real estate or certainly from finance not really even from technology but they were focused for their abilities to kind of manage a business unit to bring metrics into this very amorphous area this cost center within mm -hmm. the corporation recently you're starting to see many more lawyers mike haven himself is a lawyer and so who's the who's the uh, leader of clock and mm -hmm. so it's a very interesting dynamic I, I hosted a dinner in las vegas at clock and a number of the attendees 
were lawyers who are, have responsibility for legal operations. They're not practicing in the law department generally. They're responsible for the administrative and professional side of running the legal department. So I think that there was certainly Jennifer and Deja are are familiar and 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 uh, skilled in leveraging technology. Of course, CLM is a hot topic, as you know. And I think that mm-hmm. there was discussion of that. And one of the things that they recommended and that is often recommended is get better in in using some of these tools and kind of leveraging the unfamiliar aspects of them so that when something quirky comes up, you're the resource. And if you're the resource, you are less likely to, you know, be the victim of a financial calamity of some kind, you know what I mean? In terms of the, you know, the reduction in force or anything like that, as you demonstrate more of your value to an organization, even by knowing some of these little details, I think that that's a really good and important part of your kind of career progression and building strength in your career. Yeah. Yeah. I was just looking through. So we had a really great summary um, written about Clock um, by Valerie Chan, who's from Platform, who was really kind. She did a way better job than I do after a conference of summarising the key points. I find it really hard after conferences to pull my thoughts together. And actually, I I tend to spend a lot of time speaking to people and then do a terrible job of writing about it. I'm not going to lie. But um, it's really interesting. It's talking about, um, yeah, it seems whereas... um, Legal Week, which you and I have discussed, um, t- talked a lot about Gen AI. There was a big overwhelm, wasn't there, of Gen AI talk, I think. Um, Valerie's saying that it was quite future forward technologies. So she says Clock was more focused on practicalities with legal operators discussing topics like how to balance risk, how to gain efficiencies. She does talk about AI through AI, how, how and where to find the key resources and technologies that will help them to be a more strategic partner for their GCs. I think you've sort of touched on a lot of these, but obviously inevitably Gen AI comes up, right? Like, I, I presume that there's going to be no conference, certainly in the foreseeable future, where it's not going to be a key part of the conference. Well, there's no conversation amongst professionals where it wouldn't come up in some way, whether it's yeah. supportive or critical or unfamiliar or curious. It It's there and it's in its mainstream news. And I think that it's, you know, and it's certainly come up in legal many, many times. So there, but again, I think Valerie's absolutely right, which I'm not surprised by, but I, I think she's right that that there was a real balance in terms of the practical and the the projected. So as as we kind of go forward, I mean, even in my own research, it, you know, in, in many different areas, whether I'm talking to law firm leaders or corporate leaders, I find that they are... Tr- you know, challenged with being able to answer questions that come from others, from leaders that that to whom they are responsible. And I think that they need to answer that question. So we all are in this position of needing to be familiar enough to engage in the conversation. Yeah, it's like yeah. sports. When I was a kid growing up, I never yeah. really knew anything about sports. It was so hard to someone would bring up basketball or football or baseball and I'd be like, and my eyes would glaze over and I would just have no familiarity. And then I had children who were very interested in sports. I learned much more. And it's funny how name here, team there, score here, and all of a sudden you're kind of part of the conversation. I think that 
<laughs> you know, generative AI is not so different. And I don't even know. I mean, people should know maybe the distinctions. And we just talked about that on the virtual lunch. And I, but I, <clears throat> but I do think I but, I but I do think that that the idea of being able to engage in the conversation and being more familiar than just sort of headline familiar or TikTok familiar with some of these topics is a real advantage these days. You don't have to be you don't have to be a genius. You don't have to be an expert. You don't yeah. have to be a data scientist. But you definitely need to know more than a headline here or there. I um I hosted a dinner a couple of weeks ago um with quite a few heads of IT. There was a head of innovation at one of the UK top fifty law firms. Um, there was a head of legal tech from one of the big uh, Magic Circle firms, and um. And we were talking about tech technology adoption, but also Gen AI. And actually, there was far more interest in the Gen AI comment section <laughs> and discussion. It was over a couple of nice glasses of wine. And um, it was a couple of things were really fascinating, actually, was um, the difference between some firms. So there were a few firms there that are very early in the journey and just were there to listen. And they're very concentrated on the risks. And then there was... Um, one firm where um, I'm going to write about pretty soon, actually, where they, a UK top 50 law firm, where they are already doing several proof of concepts um, with generative AI vendors. Um, and they're pretty far down the track. They've created a, a working group um, where they are picking up, identifying technologies. They're actually frustrated with some vendors um, for not coming to market quicker with solutions. Um, and they are taking a really bold approach in terms of their fee earners and how they interact with it. And they're saying, well, they're going to interact with it anyway. They're sort of trying to take a very practical approach that that was not really quite where everybody was there very much clearly. And then we had um, somebody from Clifford Chance where that very day, and I can say this because it's been on LinkedIn, um, they had Sam Altman, the chairman, uh, CEO of OpenAI, there to talk to them. Um, it was quite funny because... <laughs> Because I was like, oh, yeah, how's Sam? You know, was Sam OK? <laughs> and, and they were saying that the talk was mind blowing um, in terms of he was saying that um, they put Gen AI out in a kind of unfinished format deliberately so that people could play around with it, become familiar with, with it at, at all levels, consumer, business, government, because if they had waited until it was the finished article then it would be kind of society shattering almost was the way that it was described that we need time to work out what it means as we are time even though everyone's been hit sideways um and then then the other thing um he said is sam said <laughs> is um that uh we the kind of LLM and the knowledge that we have of things as they stand is actually pretty, he's kind of two years ahead of that. You know, they, they've been working on this for a long time, as you know, um, and they are they are thinking next level. They're thinking sort of super intelligence um, and, and that it will undoubtedly blow work as we know it out the water. Um, mm. So it was, just, it was just fascinating. I mean, I'm still learning for sure. Don't, you know, write about it every day, still you know learning so much but um but yeah it's kind of it feels like we need to run really fast that was my kind of takeaway and in my conversations with law firm leaders there were several who mentioned 
policies restricting use or throttling the access to it or trying to otherwise control as a mechanism of ensuring the highest quality work product. So there's, again, like a really interesting balancing that's taking place. We want to push forward, and yet we want to make sure that we're providing the same high-quality service, that people are not getting careless, that there's not a reliance on something that itself doesn't have any necessarily uh, strong quality control of any type. It's meant to do a job. It does the job. It doesn't necessarily grade itself on how well the job is done as we do. And yeah. so it's a very, you know, it's, a, it's super, super interesting period now. Although I remember in the early days of the internet, I go back a while now, and, <laughs> and I know I just remember people would just rely randomly, you know, on a post. Oh, what's your source for that? Oh, I saw somebody on a blog or a Wikipedia or, you know, in the early, early days I'm talking about. Yeah, and yeah. you realize, wow, that that's not really the the internet's problem that's that's our problem we're not judging this correctly we're not assessing the credibility of something as well as we should we're just taking everything for face value and i think here we've seen that there are challenges associated with that and firms are are trying to figure it out they're trying to run really fast and yet run really fast you know like with with some sort of guardrails yeah and i think it's for vendors so so two things one the co cost came up very strongly as a topic during mm -hmm. the conversation that I had over dinner and it was felt that vendors are not being clear enough on the cost point so it's potentially hugely expensive when I hadn't even realized exactly how expensive it, it would be um it's hugely expensive and they need to be instead of just racing to be first they need to be really honest I think and you know we, we we need to learn together the market needs to learn together there's got to be you know they they're being pulled each which way some some law firms are saying you're not fast enough some saying where are the guardrails like it's, it's a very difficult time but but i think honesty and being very transparent is absolutely key and then another thing that came up was um on that sort of topic was uh, i spoke to someone one of the someone very senior one of the big biggest clm vendors just this week um she was at clock um, and they'd had a conversation amongst a bunch of financial institutions where one of the heads of legal ops for a big bank was, they were talking about Gen AI, and um, the head of legal ops at this big bank said, apparently, this is a race that I'm prepared to lose, and I thought that that was really interesting in a, in a very competitive market where, mm. you know, particularly within financial services, it's everything's about being first they said this is a race that i'm prepared to i think she's they said this is a race that i'm prepared not to come first in um which i thought was really interesting observation um and i think that that i don't know i think it's really interesting to see where different people fit in that like some people seem to be really wanting to be first off the off the off the line or whatever um and then unusually others are like holding back and going well even even the really competitive players are saying, well, let's just see how the race goes, which I think is quite interesting. You don't normally see that. And the value proposition is also one that is in flux. You mentioned this idea that it, some people have assessed it as expensive. In the early days of e-discovery, for example, right, software would come in and people were trying to characterize this discussion as, you know, What's the total cost? What will be your total cost over a period of time? And that number would be a big number. So if if our 
approach or product or service or or strategy was 60% of that, we've just saved you 40%. Notwithstanding the fact that 60% is a really high number in comparison to what you're getting billed month to month or something, right? And I think that there's some discussion there as well. It's just like, what's the investment? What work is this replacing that you no longer have to pay for? What individuals do you no longer have to pay? And if you calculate the total there, then, oh, it's a super bargain, right? Like, so I think that there's there's still discussion about what all this looks like. Yeah, no, you're so right. You're so right. And I think it's just that unknown quantity, isn't it? But I think that's where, you know, the, the sort of honest conversations come. But I, And I do think that it's quite tricky for firms or anybody talking about the people factor, right? <laughs> As with any kind of technology where you have those conversations about what does it mean for people? What does it mean for their jobs? You don't usually get that so much with the bigger firms. Like even when we had like, I think perhaps... Not, nothing to compare on this guy, but you know, in the early days of contractual review, right? Like it was clear that it was going to take over a big chunk of work that people didn't want to do. But particularly among the big firms, we didn't really have that conversation about about what will it mean for my job. Um, I've seen that within other firms where, for example, they're you know quite unionized, like within the insurance sector, where they um, do volume, high volume work. And we've been talking about robotic process automation. Like I've seen that become a conversation where people are very careful about what does this mean for my job? Um, and that's come up. But with the bigger firms, I I haven't seen it come up too much. Um, I, I think now that with, there's a there's a feeling of we have to be careful, which I haven't really seen before. I think with this, with this Gen AI conversation. And you might start to see some movement in this area as different organizations approach the beginning of a new fiscal year. Some organizations mm -hmm. started in April, some will start in July. Uh, obviously a lot of US-based organizations will start next year, but they're planning, they're in this budget phase of where do we reallocate or where do we add new funds? And if, as you say, there's less discussion of a sluggish economy and more focus on growth and us kind of getting back to a a place of a, you know continued investment and innovation then this might rapidly accelerate people might start deploying tools they might start doing proof, proof of concept they might have staff members whose time frees up and then all of a sudden this again shifts very quickly because as you you mentioned that the the technology is is much more developed than we're getting access to yeah. We're we're seeing these tools probably, you know, several versions behind whatever is available to, you know, those who are like at, at the forefront of this. And so, you know, we're blown away by what, what it's capable of. We don't even know the half of it. And I think that's something that people should be prepared for. But I, I, I guess I would close by just saying that there's real opportunity for people, uh, you know, junior folks especially as we're kind of getting back to this. I don't know if it's a normal, you know, you're still seeing lots of questions about what's happening in the commercial real estate market, how much people are going back and, you know, what, what that will look like a year from now. I don't know, but certainly as people get more, uh, comfortable being back in person and as they are back that there are going to be real opportunities to have conversations about some of these things that kind of there's a very flat landscape with it it's not as if some people have an advantage and others most people are at the same level of 
oh yeah, I've used it. I had it write a poem for my my cat. And, you know, and that's, and it's like, it's a really funny poem. And I'm always like, okay, but you know, if you can scratch a little, you just scratch the surface, just slightly past that. All of a sudden you're one of those people, A, you're just expressing curiosity, B, you're showing a willingness to learn something and C, you're like a sounding board to the people who are really trying to make decisions. And I think that gives an advantage to and an, and an opportunity for people who are a junior or just getting back, trying to create some reputation and people who might be senior who are, can kind of reinvent themselves as tech yeah. forward. And I think there's just, you know, tremendous opportunity there. So in the face of all this, all this uncertainty, all this change, there's, you know, a meaningful way that you can really stand out. And engagement. And it gives us so much an insight into what real engagement and and potentially adoption means it's just transformative isn't it I think it's really sort of shown us the potential in some ways for when people really engage with technology what does that mean and how much easier is it in terms of achieving your objectives um, and look, it gives it gives us on every conversation. All yeah, kinds of we did say so, I, I, I blame you for bringing up Gen AI, and the recording will prove me <laughs> completely <laughs> wrong. I, <laughs> you decide, listeners, who brought it up. Was it me or uh, anyway? Well, uh, wonderful conversation as always. Nice Thank you, Carolyn. You. Yeah, it's great to talk to you. Uh, uh, thank you. You too. Bye. Bye.